Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey everyone, Liz Lang here, and Dr. Mark Burton is back with us this week. And this week, we're going to get into recovering from an affair. So we started to touch on this topic a little bit in an episode we did, Repairing Damaged Relationships, that we did a few weeks ago. And we kind of ran short on time, but I feel like this is a really important topic, and it's really quite a big deal to go through something in a marriage. And I would say a lot of times it probably ends in divorce, but I would also say that there's probably a lot of couples out there who want to stick it out. And so we can talk about what that looks like, maybe when it is time to get a divorce, and kind of walk through the recovery process of how you really do get past an affair. It's an interesting topic and one that sadly is pretty common. I would imagine. Yeah. So let's start at the very beginning and talk about how a relationship gets to the point where an affair can occur, because most people don't just wake up one day and say, eh, I think I'm going to go cheat on my spouse. I would That's imagine. Exactly right. They don't. <laughs> they don't do that. And so there's a book. I think I've probably mentioned the book before. It's called Not Just Friends. Mm-hmm. And the author is Shirley Glass. That's the book I I use when I'm helping a couple to recover from an affair. And she really believes that couples can, but the book is really good. And it's good for either the person who's having the affair or the spouse of the person who's having the affair. But here's the concept that she uses. And it's this idea, she uses the term of, of opening doors and windows. And I just stick with you, open the door. And what happens? So here's a typical scenario. Uh, often it happens at work because, you know, we're there, you know, eight hours a day and you're, mm-hmm. you're interacting with other people on, you know, a frequent basis. And so what happens is you open the door where you start talking, just having dialogue about maybe things that are a little bit more personal. You know, you start going into those, oh, you know, what's going on in your life? It starts out pretty innocently. Mm-hmm. But what happens is if you keep going, that you've opened the door, you start walking down that path. And if you let yourself become more and more intimate, and when I say intimate, I mean on an emotional basis. Right. Like, and often here's how it starts. Oh, you know, my wife and I are having trouble. Oh, tell me about it. how are you and your wife having trouble? So it goes like that. You start talking about the spouse mm-hmm. to someone else and the troubles you're having. And so you have this sympathetic ear that's listening and you start just going down the path of being more and more emotionally intimate and that's typically how it starts very few people in fact i don't know if i've ever had anyone say yes i started out to you know planning to have this affair it's more that they open the door they start walking down the path and some months later you know it's like they turn around and think how did i get here Mm -hmm. because now i'm deep into it emotionally And so it's a fairly natural progression to go from the emotional connection to a physical connection. And that's typically how the sexual part of it happens. But I do have to say that for a lot of couples, 
the sexual piece is not the most important one. It's the emotional it's the emotional piece that becomes the most important one. And here's the question that I get asked, or that not me, but the person who's had the affair gets asked, did you ever say to him or her that you loved her or him? Mm-hmm. And so that implies that deep emotional connection. And often that's the thing that is very hurtful. And then the other thing that's pretty hurtful is the lying. There's always lying and deception that goes right. along to cover it up. And so that's the breach of trust. But so is it, I mean, I'm not advocating going out and having, you know, sexual affairs because it doesn't matter. It matters very much. Yes. But when you get into the repair process, often that is not the big piece. So does that answer your question about how it happens? Yes, it does. So it's interesting that you say the emotional part is the most important. And I've heard you mention this before that you say often it's harder for couples to recover from an emotional affair than a physical one. So in this instance, I'm guessing if someone is maybe inhibited by alcohol or, you know, maybe their barriers are down or something happens and they have maybe just a one night stand with a random person, that's obviously a huge betrayal of trust, but I would imagine that's a little bit easier to come back from than, say, if there's an emotional connection with someone. You're right, because yeah. for that, it's not, oh, I fell in love with this person, we went and had sex. See, that's the hardest part, is I fall in love with someone else. But if you get drunk, and sadly, that happens often as well, and that is easier to repair from, because... What happens is then you can say, okay, I'm just not going to drink or I'm going to change the way I use alcohol, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. And I think the repair is easier. The other thing I'm often asked, why do people have affairs? Mm -hmm. Which it's not a question that you can ever answer. And so during the repair process, the person who didn't have the affair is always saying, I want to know why you did this. And I try and help them understand there is never an answer to why did you do this? And the way I look at it is more like a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And you're putting together this puzzle with all these different pieces. Because the reason that you end up in the affair, like, for instance, whatever's going on in the marriage, it plays a part. It's part of the, the puzzle piece. It's, it is never a reason to have an affair, though. Right. Uh, you've got to include it in the puzzle. And so when we're doing the repair process, all we're really doing is putting up these different pieces so that you get what I call that coherent narrative of what happened in the marriage to allow this to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was the next thing I was going to bring up is let's talk about that. What happens in a marriage? So I would imagine that this happens one of two ways. This type of emotional affair is that there's either trouble in the relationship and you're seeking comfort and counsel from a friend and it creates, like you said, that emotional connection. Or maybe it could happen in the reverse where you're, you have a close friend And you're just friends, but maybe things start to get too close and that starts to drive a wedge in the relationship. Which one do you see happen more often? I would imagine that it starts with there's trouble between the couple and then eventually one of them goes and seeks companionship elsewhere in a way that maybe they shouldn't. Or how often do you see 
that there's really no trouble in a relationship, but an affair happens anyways because this person is still developing close feelings. I know that was a little bit confusing, but does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think it's most common that first situation where, you know, you actually seek the relationship out, but it's more on an emotional basis. Mm -hmm. And then it develops into something more physical. Although there are certainly cases, and this gets into a bit of physiology. I've had some cases like this where if you look at men's testosterone, that you can plot it. So say a man 50 years old, you can Mm -hmm. plot the testosterone under the normal curve. And so what that means is most men will have similar testosterone level. But in the tails of the normal curve, some of the men, a smaller percentage, are going to have very low testosterone, which means they really don't have any sexual desire. And those men typically don't like to talk about it. And then in the other tail, there are some men who have very high testosterone. And I have seen situations where it is purely sexual. Okay. It's just it's just about the sex. So I know I don't want to imply that it never happens. Right. I think it's less frequent mm-hmm. though. And the way you solve that, I mean, one, you have to accept that the man's testosterone is going to be higher and you have to figure out a way to meet that need of the higher sexual desire. But again, that part is not that common. It's mm-hmm. more common that you seek out that emotional relationship. Now, what I'm going to say next is not meant to be flippant. Some people think it is, but I think the basic reason people have an affair is they don't keep their promise. I mean, most marriages are based on a promise. Mm -hmm. Most of it's explicit or sometimes it's implied, but also I promise I will not have sex with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And you break your promise. I mean, that in its simplest form, that's what it is. And some people can really, they're really good at compartmentalizing things. And I've seen a client right now where we're talking about this. What you want to know is, okay, if you then move through that emotional stage and you're going to have sexual uh, relationship with this other person, do you think about your wife and your children? Mm-hmm. Right. And Right. So, you know, you think, okay, if you did this, if, if you really thought about them, How would you go through with this? And somehow they're able to compartmentalize it and stick it over here where it's almost like there's this wall. There's an emotional wall between their family, their wife, their kids, and what they're about to do. And it's almost like they forget about it. You know, it's like, okay, that doesn't exist because this wall's there. And I had a, a situation where a man had multiple affairs and he told me, he said that it one time he was about to have an affair and his wife called and it's like snapped him right out of it. Right. Because it's too real. It's right. Okay. You're right here talking into my ear. Mm -hmm. So, so I think the, how do we get to the place where we can, you know, not follow our promise that we made? How can we just disregard that so easily? I think it's that, compartmentalization and some people are good at it yeah. some people some people are very good at it mm-hmm. right so this is something that curtis and i have talked about before is what would happen if there was an affair in our marriage and the first thing we both said is we can't imagine ever getting to that point and i'm sure every couple says that, right? I mean, no one gets married thinking, yeah, there's probably a good chance we're going to go through an affair, right? And really what it comes down to is 
I think the reason why we we both feel that way even now after almost 10 years of marriage is we still make each other the number one priority. And no matter what, Curtis is my go-to person and it's vice versa. If there is good news, if there's something positive that's going on that we're really excited about that we really want to share, Curtis is the first person I want to go to. And it's the same thing. Same thing if something hard is going on in our life. Curtis is the first person I want to go to for support. And I'm, you know, and I'm the first person he comes to if he needs support with something. And we work really hard to keep our relationship strong. Right. And what you're talking about is keeping a strong emotional connection. It can occur in, you know, in that case as well. But I think it's much less likely when you have that strong emotional connection. And so you asked what happens in the marriage that you know, might lead to this. And part of it is a weakened emotional connection Mm -hmm. between the spouses. I don't know if this has come out in previous episodes. I tend to be fairly anti-social networking. And Mm. the reason is I see all that. I see all the instances where it's not a good thing. So for instance, Facebook or Instagram or who knows what else is out there. But if you just take Facebook, I, I can't even you know, count the number of times that I've had people in my office who are dealing with an affair where it starts on Facebook or there's some component of Facebook where it seems pretty innocent. You connect with an old high school friend and then you start talking. And so it doesn't have to happen in the office, as I talked about previously. It can happen online and you get talking about things that are more and more intimate on Facebook. And I think you know, that that distance that is created because you're you're not present with each other, you're actually online, I think allows some people to even become more intimate yeah. emotionally faster. And then it just develops into, well, hey, let's get together and talk. And then, you know, there you are, you're going down that road. So I think that couples, I, I don't want to be too strong about this. I think you have to be very, very careful about social media. Um, I think... One thing with social media that I definitely agree on is there should be no restriction of access to each other's accounts. Right. And I don't think it's a matter of trust. So in mine and Curtis's relationship, we both have Facebook and it's on our phones and neither. Well, okay. Curtis's phone is locked. It's required to have a lock for work, but I know the password. He knows the password to my phone and we have complete transparency in that aspect. It's just not something we worry about too much because we know we have complete and utter transparency in that area of social media. I think that's really important. Yeah, it is. And so for listeners, here's a big red flag. If you're ever doing something, and this it's not just on social media, but if you're ever doing something and you think, oh, I don't want my spouse to see this, Mm-hmm. that is a big red flag and you have opened that door and you're walking down that path. Mm. Just stop right there. Stop what you're doing. Backtrack, shut the door yeah. because you've opened that emotional door mm-hmm. to deception. That's the start of deception. And you might think, Oh, this is okay. If they don't know, you know, if they don't know this, it'll be fine. It is not fine. Mm-hmm. It will always grow. So, and I think it's important to understand that in the repair process, usually the hardest thing, you know, it's the emotional connection, but it's the deception. It's the lying because that destroys trust and intimacy, both physical 
and emotional intimacy in a couple is based on trust. Mm -hmm. And so if you do something that destroys the trust, whether it is you're hiding a message or, you, you know, you're doing something like that, that destroys trust. So would you say that affairs happen most typically on a men's side more than women? Is that correct? Well, I think statistically it used to be, but okay. most men are having affairs with other women. So mm-hmm. I think that's starting to change. And, and the reason it's starting to change is the women are in the workplace and a lot of affairs happen in the workplace. So yeah, that that's the difference. Uh, the, you know, so from, say, f- you know, 50 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, there weren't that many women in the workplace and most men were there. And so, yeah, it was mostly a male thing, but I don't think that's true anymore. I don't know exactly the statistics. But it's it's definitely it's approaching equity now, you know, that just because, well, I mean, there are a lot of factors that are involved. One, mm-hmm. the advent of, of really easy birth control. I mean, that yep. uh, that makes it so that, you know, you can have these sexual relationships without the fear of getting pregnant, tra- women traveling for work more, creating that opportunity. Interesting. Yeah. And I think we just all need to be so careful. Don't ever assume that you are immune to an affair because the reality is, is if you assume you're immune, you're not going to put up safeguards in relationships with other people. And eventually you're going to have to develop relationships in your personal workplace and they're going to be with both male and female. And I think one time, oh, if several episodes again, you said our brains really like novelty. Yeah. Yeah. And it can start like that. It can start Mm -hmm. that way where you have a coworker, you guys just connect and you get along really well. It's just, it's completely innocent and it's good to have relationships at work. But if you let it go too far to that friendship, then that's a red flag. So I guess the point I'm making is don't assume that just because you have a good marriage, you can't form an attachment to someone else. You have to be on guard and make sure that you're cognizant and aware of where this relationship is going, even if it right. seems innocent. And I think that if you feel like you're missing something emotionally from your marriage partner mm-hmm. and you then start to get that from a work colleague, mm-hmm. that's dangerous because that's when it's really easy to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you start comparing your oh, yeah. your That's spouse. Dangerous. Yeah. That's don't dangerous. yeah, I mean that that doesn't sound like a road you ever need to no. go down. Don't ever start comparing them because the bottom line is you pick that person and right. you love your spouse and you chose them. And you have to continue to make that choice. I think sometimes I, I, a lot of people assume that they fall in love and they get married and they're just going to stay in love forever. And that's not really the case. Good marriages take focus. They really do. Every day. Yes. Yes. You know, and one thing that I've kind of struggled with my entire marriage is when people say marriage takes work and I'm like, well, I've been married for 10 years and my marriage doesn't really feel like work. <laughs> well, but that's why I don't use work usually. Yeah. I use focus. But yeah. I would guess that you and Curtis on some way in some in some way focus on each other and the relationship. I don't know on a daily basis, but often. 
Oh is yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's about focus. It's about paying yeah. attention to the relationship. It's like, it's more of an investment. Relationships mm -hmm. are all about investments and your spouse has to be your primary investment. You have to yeah. invest more into your spouse than anything else. I mean, I, the close, that, I like that. Way. Yeah. I, like I mean, that. the, the only close seconds can be, well, the, I guess the closest second could be a job because mm -hmm. you're going to have to invest a lot into a job. And well, the kids is kind of just a mutual investment of we've had a kid together and we're just going to accept that a lot of time and energy is going to go into that child. But I mean, mm -hmm. you know, your spouse really has to be your number one investment in your life. It has to be your priority. Right. And when you stop doing that, that's what leads to the disconnection that we talked mm -hmm. about earlier. And when you're disconnected and then you start to feel that connection from someone else, it feels really good. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. you know, you need to stop and head back to the marriage and repair that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If you ever feel like you are connecting with someone in more than just a, hey, we're casual work friends, you know, we get along at work and sure we have fun at work, but that's literally the extent of it is we get through the workday well together. If it ever starts to feel like more than that, you need to turn tail and run as quick right. as and you can. Right, and often it starts with uh, texts from each other after work. Mm. You know, you're expanding the amount of time you're connecting. That's, mm -hmm. that's a red flag too. Yeah, that's pretty dangerous. Okay, so we've talked a lot about how we get to the point of an affair. So... Now let's say the affairs happened. What are the steps? What do you do next? My philosophy is that you can repair from affair. I've seen it happen and sometimes it doesn't happen. But if couples come and see me, I'm never going to say to them, okay, it's time to get a divorce. They right. they can decide that themselves. That's and exactly so what I thought you were going to say. If they're sitting on my couch, then mm -hmm. we're working to make this work, you know, whatever it takes. So the repair process, I think one of the mistakes that people make is they try and do it on their own. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's not that they can, it's just, I think there's some very specific steps and often they need a guide to help mm -hmm. them through it. Right. And so for me, there are two parts, two main parts. The first part is you're dealing with the affair itself. And then the second part would be the context of the marriage. And so when you're dealing with the affair, the person who had the affair has 100% responsibility Absolutely. for that. They made that choice. And, you know, the spouse really has no, you can't blame the spouse. Oh, I did, but I hear it. Oh, I did this because you did this, or you wouldn't have sex with me or something like that. Mm -hmm. You always have other choices. And so in the repair of the actual affair, it's always 100% responsibility of the person who had the affair. But when you then move to the context of the marriage, you share equally in that. Okay. And so that's an important distinction mm -hmm. to make, that they both play a part in what was going on in the marriage. That is, and I'm really careful to say this, that is never an excuse to have an affair. It's just you want to look at what was going on in the marriage and change it so that you decrease the likelihood that that will happen again. Mm -hmm. So the steps in an affair, the first one is you've got to go with total transparency 
And if you read that book, Not Just Friends, I mean, she goes to the extent, if you need to hire a PI to follow your spouse around, hire a PI to follow the spouse around. Mm -hmm. And because if you aren't doing anything that uh, is suspicious, or you're, then it's fine and it actually builds trust. It's okay to look at the other person's phone, to check the phone, to check the email. You have to have equal access. But if you want to go check, that's okay. And a lot of people have this idea, oh, I don't want to do that because it shows I don't trust him. Right. You don't trust him. That I mean, acknowledge, I don't trust you. You and have so, good reason not to. And so I'm going to do this because eventually what happens is that's how you build trust up. You know, after so long, and you know, it's not like the rest of your marriage, you're going to be checking each other's text messages. That's right. not what's going to happen. It's just you need that time to feel confident this is over. I'd like to suggest an app that I think couples might find helpful. It's an app called Life360. I think it's originally designed for families who have teenagers. And Curtis and I have our own personal reasons for having it. I mean, we just like the Life360 and, and it doesn't bother either of us to have it. We mutually agree. Yeah, we've got Life360 on our phone and, you know, it, it doesn't bother us. And so we do it. But I think it would be really helpful for a couple going through an affair so you can say, okay, track what I'm doing. I'm committed to fixing this relationship. I'm not going to have an affair again. I want to work on it. I want to regain your trust. Here's this app on my phone. You can track everywhere my phone goes. You can see my location and everything where I've gone, where I've been, where I'm going. I think that could be helpful in mm -hmm. recovering I, trust. No, I, I agree. And so the affair has to be over. You have to end it. And at the point that they come into my office, it may not be over. But if they don't end it fairly quickly, then I won't continue to see them because that's just mm -hmm. a waste of time. Of their and money. it's not fair it, to, the, to the other person. Right. And, and so the way an affair ends, if, if it hasn't ended, then we talk about what how that works best. Often the spouse wants to be either present or know what this text is, what, you know, mm -hmm. wants to know what it is that you're saying to end this affair and then what the response is. And so the spouse who didn't have the affair has the right to ask any question they want about the affair. Mm -hmm. Now that's really, really tough. And this is, is what trips people up often is they will hide things thinking, I don't want to hurt my spouse further. And what I try and help them understand, you are not going to hurt them any more than you already have hurt them mm -hmm. by having this affair. And guaranteed, if you try and hide something from them, it will come out later. And it's just worse. You've just been uh, deceptive again. And so, you know, if you're trying to rebuild trust, you just damaged the, all the work that you've been doing. So as hard as it is, it's really important to answer the questions that the spouse has. I always want them to do that in my office, though, mm -hmm. so that I can act as a guide. And I typically like to have the questions before because I try and help the person who's asking the questions. If there's too much detail, I try and help steer them away from that because the detail just tends to get stuck in their head and spin. I try and change it to having, you know, more general questions. Right. But in the end, if they want to know the answer to the question, they get to know the, the answer to the question. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, and this is different for every couple, could be a couple of weeks, could be a month. 
at some point we end the questioning part. You're done. And okay. the way I liken it is that questioning part is you've got this wound and you're cleaning it out and you're digging around in it. And, you know, it's pretty painful for both of you, mm-hmm. that process. And at some point that has to stop and you put the bandage on it so that the healing can start. Okay. That's a question I would ask the uh, spouse every time. Are you ready to stop asking, uh, you know, asking the questions? And eventually they get there, but it's their choice. They have to have that power. But it, then it's really important for them you don't ask questions again because you let it go. You have to be able to move on. Mm -hmm. And so that is pretty much that portion of how do you, you know, repair from the affair. And the other kind of the overlay, which I said before, is you want to get an idea of what happened, what's going on, what's what's the puzzle look like that helps me understand how this could happen. So not answering why did this happen, but all these different pieces. And that's really important because it's important for both of them to be able to make sense of this. I mean, we want to make sense of our lives. So for the person who didn't have the affair and often for the person who did, they want to understand it. How was I able to do this? A lot of people ask that. How could I have done this? How did I get to this point? How did I get to this point? And the spouse wants to know too. Mm -hmm. And so once you get there, I think you can eventually get to a place where you can say, okay, I get it. I understand it. Mm -hmm. Now, at at the same time, kind of in conjunction with repairing that affair, we're looking at what's going on in the relationship because you really want to focus on that as well. Mm -hmm. Whatever, for instance, if there's an emotional disconnection, you want to deal with that fairly quickly to get that emotional connection back on track. So it kind of is going on at the same time, but then eventually you shift almost entirely to working on improving the relationship. Right. So that's kind of a general idea of what we do. And so let's take a minute and talk about the importance of keeping family members out of the equation. And that can be really hard and really tempting, especially when you feel so raw about it. You know, I mean, say you're the spouse who's been cheated on. You're going to feel extremely vulnerable emotionally. I mean, it's like being sucker punched. And it's so easy to turn to a sibling or maybe a parent or other family members or maybe close friends and want to talk to them and open up to them about what's happened. And I would strongly caution against that, particularly with family. I don't think that it's ever a good idea, at least to go into too much detail. I think you can say we're having difficulties. Things are really hard right now. We're working through it and leave it at that. If you really want to recover from it, it's important not to solely other relationships that you are both in as far as family or close friends, because what's going to happen is maybe you move on, but this other person is going to still be thinking about it and maybe they're holding a grudge or it's just going to be too easy to bring up old hurts and bring up old wounds. And it's just not a good idea. I, that's exactly what happens. I agree. And it becomes really tricky because often you find out and you want to almost share that with someone. So if it's at all possible, hold off. You have to hopefully in an ideal situation, talk together about who are we going to tell about this. And But there is the need for a lot of people, especially the person who hasn't had the affair, to share it with someone. They just, they need to talk about it. Yeah. 
but you have to be really, really careful. And certainly the problem I've seen with families is you might decide to repair the relationship and you go on and you're happily married Mm -hmm. and mom and dad are over here and they're pretty angry about it because they still remember, oh yeah, you cheated on our daughter. So, you know, we're pretty unhappy about that. So you're absolutely right. You have to be very careful about it. I think you have to be careful with friends too. And the the important thing to remember is once you tell someone else, you lose control Mm -hmm. and it can go anywhere. Even if that person says, oh, I won't tell anybody, you have lost control of the information. And so you have to decide if you're willing to lose control of the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think, something that a lot of people underrate when it comes to a marriage is that marriages really need to be private to a large extent. Marriages really need to only involve, in fact, they have to only involve the couple. Marriages can never involve anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good to have it's good to have relationships, it's good to have friendships, but there should never be a point where that person is involved in your marriage in any way. If you do need outside help, because if you really are struggling with someone, you need to go to an unaffiliated third party, preferably a counselor, because you don't want someone taking sides or, you know, a marriage counselor or any sort of counselor is not going to take sides. That's one of the advantages of coming to a therapist. Mm hmm is because you know it's going to be kept confidential. Yeah. So, And so you have to be really, really careful about that because it's those unintended consequences that happen when in the heat of the moment you tell someone mm-hmm. and down the road you and your spouse have repaired it, you've done a good job of working and that information is out there and you, yep. probably, don't want it. you probably don't want it to be. Mm-hmm. So bottom line is if an affair has happened Seek counseling. It's seek hard. To, see, if you want, if you want to repair it, mm-hmm. which really, I think you know, I think the vast majority of couples do. Okay. I think the problem comes when there are multiple affairs, yeah, and the person just won't stop. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, you know what, this is behavior that's not going to change. So, you right. decide do you want to stay in the relationship and have this, or do you want to leave? But I think that it is very possible to repair. Mm-hmm. It takes work from both of you. It takes a fair amount of humility from the person who had the affair because they have to disclose everything. Mm-hmm. And that is embarrassing to them. And that's part of the deal. You're going to be embarrassed. And yeah, often yeah. it's hard for them to tell their spouse. And it's certainly hard for them to say it in front of the therapist. And I say, okay, that's the deal, though. You've got to get it out there. So you can repair. But I think most importantly, don't open the door. Mm-hmm. The that's door what shut. I... That's Keep what I was going to say. It sounds a whole heck of a lot easier to it just easier. avoid the affair in the first place. It's cheaper. Yes, <laughs> it's less, it is. It's less expensive. Just don't open the door. Yeah. Do your maintenance on your relationship. That's it. Yeah. Keep that investment going. Keep the investment yes. strong. I don't yes. think you can invest too much into no, a marriage. I, I agree with that. I agree. Yeah. All right, so next week we are going to talk about common marriage problems. So we're going to talk about some of the quirks that kind of come up maybe in those first few years of marriage. And we'll Mm -hmm. get into a little bit of conflict resolution in a marriage and some good tips and tricks for any of our newlywed or maybe newly engaged 
listeners out there. Yeah. So it's going to be a good episode because marriage is probably mine and Dr. Burton's, probably both of our favorite well, topics to talk about. I spent, I spent half my day talking about to couples about conflict resolution today. So there we go. Every day. All right. Thanks so much Thanks. for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you all next week. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 